So 1 John 2, 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not have, con- they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all, the, and you all have that knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Good morning, church. I remember when we first started meeting as a church, I thought I had was, this church is so awesome, no one's ever going to leave. And that's not exactly what happened. Some people left because... God was calling them to new places, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing when we send people to new places to minister and to bless other people. Some people left for less mature reasons. Things didn't go right, and, and they looked for a new place where it was easier. Some people left for sinful reasons, and even to deny Christ and stop following him. The fact is that when you read the Bible, that, that those things happen in the church and in God's family should not be unexpected. The Bible teaches that we have an enemy, and his plan is to scatter and divide the church and divide us from Christ and turn us back into unbelievers. And the sad part is, is our hearts are not strong on their own. We have weak, sinful hearts that are prone to believe deception. Now, thankfully, we have a Lord who's stronger than our hearts and stronger than the deceiver, and he has a plan to keep us. So what's that plan to keep us? So we're going to hear about this morning in this passage. So Pastor Daniel spoke last week about the world system that's trying to tempt us and divide us from Christ. And now we're going to hear about the enemy who's the head of that world system and the tempter who's trying to divide us from Christ and Christ's plan to keep us. So let's hop in here to verse 18. The Apostle John starts off writing, children. It's a term we've heard before. And it denotes authority and affection. Just like a parent has 
authority and affection over a child. John is writing with a sense of authority and affection. And since the scriptures are for all of the church, these words are addressed to me and to you with authority and and affection from God. That's how we should hear them as we listen to these words this morning. And God says to his church, it is the last hour. It is the last hour. But wait a second. Wasn't this written thousands and thousands and thousands of hours ago? Doesn't seem quite like that was the last hour. And what we see here is what the New Testament teaches, which is that after Christ dies and rises and ascended to heaven, there's nothing left in history to be fulfilled except for him to return and to reign. After Christ ascends, realistically, at any point, history could end. The king is returning, and it could happen in any generation. His return is imminent. The end of history is at hand in every generation, and no one knows when he'll come back. All that's left until he comes back is for the preaching of the gospel to the nations, and then he returns, which could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be in our lifetimes. And the way our Lord expects us to live is as if Jesus could come back at any moment. If we knew, right, that Jesus was coming back in our lifetime, if we knew that Jesus was coming back maybe in a few months, think about the hope and encouragement that would come in your life. Maybe you're in prison for being a Christian, but you know he's coming back in just a little while. Would you lose your confidence then? Would you give in to temptation then? I think not. I think not. The fact that it's the last hour is supposed to strengthen us to obey in any situation and any temptation. Your king and my king is coming back to end history, right everything that's wrong, and rule the nations, and that's why we can face Antichrist. So let's hear more about him. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists has come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So the Bible is clear that there is an enemy of the people of God. He shows up in the very beginning in the garden, and he keeps showing up until the end. Antichrist is coming. He is a false king with a false people. His false people are called antichrists. They're the ones that he's deceived and turned them from followers of Jesus into ones who no longer follow Jesus and try to deceive people who are following Jesus. That's what happens in this church John is writing to. They're ones who oppose the rule of God They're ones who oppose the rule of Christ and try to keep other people from following him. Antichrist wants to turn us into antichrists. That's his goal, to deceive us and turn us away from Jesus. And then John says, therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour Something's so curious about this age that we live in. That the greater the opposition, 
the greater the deception that we face, the more confidence we should have that Jesus is coming back soon. Right? You would think that the more opposition there is to Jesus, you would think that the more deception there is, the further he's off, the further he is from ruling. But not so. Not so. The more opposition you face, the closer your Lord is to returning to you to rescue us. The enemy knows he's defeated. Right? When Jesus died and rose again, he knows it's over. And he's thrashing about. He's cornered, and he's trying to take as many people with him before he perishes. That's why opposition is fierce for the church and fierce for us in this age. It's growing fiercer in our culture. And if we were outside of our culture, we would learn that we live in the age of martyrdom. Has anyone ever heard a voice of the martyrs? Stories come in from all around the world today of people who suffer unimaginable things for following Jesus. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. Therefore, we know that Jesus is coming back. Because our enemy grows bolder and he grows fiercer and he grows more violent, we know that Jesus Christ is coming to put an end to him and to end his earthly reign. So as we face opposition, as we face deception, as we face the enemy, let us not grow faint, let us grow bold. As we face deception, as we face temptation, as we face influence to leave Jesus, let us not leave him, let's keep confessing him. Amen? Then John writes about people who were following Jesus in this church. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. A true follower of Jesus is marked by perseverance until the end. A true follower of Jesus is marked by perseverance until the end. Time always tells whether or not we've truly been rescued by Jesus. What these people showed, right, by abandoning their confession and by abandoning Christ is that they were not truly his followers. Antichrist wants to take followers of Jesus and turn them into antichrists. That's what his goal is. The way he wages war on the church is he deceives and divides the church. When we gather together in Jesus' name, we oppose him and his crosshairs become set on us. And the way that he wages war against us is he deceives and divides the church. He tries to get us to leave the church community where he can pick us off when we're alone. So what he wants to do, leaving the church community and leaving Jesus often go together because this is his family. This is where he's worshiped and experienced and rules. And so when we leave and abandon and forsake the gathering of God's people, it's often the enemy's plan to deconvert us. So watch out. Watch out for the temptation to leave the church family. We'll feel it come through worldly philosophy We'll feel it come through relational hurt, right? We, we, we feel hurt by someone in the community. That's when the enemy attacks and tries to divide. We feel it through missed expectations or discontentment with our church. 
right? We're not in heaven yet, and our church is not often all we expect and hope it would be. And so often that can be temptation. Well, it's not everything I thought this church was going to be, so I'm going to leave it. And the warning here is beware. Beware of temptations to disconnect yourself from Christian community. Now, as John writes, in verse 20, he's got some really good news for us. Some really good news for us. Our destiny in Jesus is not to be scattered from the church. Our destiny is not to be deconverted. Our destiny is not to be deceived by Antichrist. We have a much different destiny, a much better destiny. Let's read it in verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and no lie is of the truth. He says, you have been anointed by the Holy One. You have been anointed by the Holy One. The Holy One is Jesus. It's a word John uses to refer to Jesus. And he says that we have been anointed by Jesus. Now, Jesus' name is Jesus, right? Of course. And Christ is his title. It's not his last name. Christ means anointed one. So as you read about the life of Jesus in the Bible, you watch the life of an anointed one. Now, an anointed one in the Old Testament is someone who has oil poured on them like a priest or a king, and it symbolizes God's power coming upon them for a special purpose. Jesus, when he was anointed, was anointed with something better than oil. He was anointed with what the oil points to. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So he even says, this is what Jesus says about himself in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So the Spirit of Jesus anoints Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus had the life and power of God upon him in the person of the Holy Spirit. He had the life and power of God upon him in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the enemy has never tried to deceive someone as much as he tried to deceive Jesus. You've never spent 40 days in the wilderness, faced down Satan face to face, been offered the kingdoms of the world and refused them, but Jesus did. He was not deceived by the evil one because he had an anointing that was from God and he spent his life breaking off deceptions from all kinds of people. We're here this morning and we know the truth because Jesus healed us of our deception. That's what he did. That's what he does. He was an anointed one and if we stand in awe of his life, we would be correct to stand in awe of his life. He was an anointed one who lived an amazing life of victories over lies and deception and death. Okay, so Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. Now let's return to verse 20. What does it say? But you have been anointed by the Holy One. 
Church, the same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus is upon you. The same person of God that dwelt within Jesus dwells within you. The reason why the enemy cannot deceive you and cannot separate you from Christ is because Jesus' Holy Spirit is upon us. If I'm here to remind us of anything this morning, is that, is that the Holy Spirit that Jesus lived and was empowered by is available to us, so no one here has to be deceived. No one here has to be deconverted. No one here has to be taken advantage of and destroyed by the enemy who's out for us. We have the Holy Spirit available to us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? And you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and no lie is of the truth. One thing the Holy Spirit does is it teaches us everything we need to know. There are certain things we need to know to live, and the Holy Spirit teaches every single one of those things. Right, Jesus is even talking about the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 15, or sorry, John chapter 15, and he says this, but when the helper comes, he's talking about the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So what a deceiver is going to do, what the deceiver is going to do is he's going to try to separate us from Jesus by confusing us about who Jesus is. Before I was a Christian, I didn't know who Jesus was. Right? I, I heard things about him, but I didn't know how amazing he was. I didn't know how worthy he was. I didn't know how sinful I was and how much I needed him. It was a work of God that I became aware of those things. And it's a work of God that you're aware of those things. And so many other people are perishing and don't have the knowledge that you have and don't have the life you have. It's not because you were wiser than anyone else. It's not because you were smarter than anyone else. It's because God had mercy on you and poured out his spirit on you. He's been so generous with us, church. He's showed us what's real. And if we're going to make it to the end, right, that knowledge we have to maintain, the enemy is going to come and try to interfere with our awareness of who God is in Jesus. When you're sinning, when you're giving your over to your deceptions, are you not becoming less and less aware of how lovely Jesus is, how worthy Jesus is, how much you need him, and inventing some alternative reality where he's not necessary and you can come up with some way to save and rescue yourself and satisfy yourself? We need God to give us knowledge. We need God to remind us of what's most important for us to live. And so if you're facing deception today, the answer is, which is all of us, the answer is to plead with God for more of his spirit to show us what's real. Like, I am prone to forget what's real every day. And I need God to show me what's real so I don't make shipwreck of my faith and destroy myself and destroy other people. One of the greatest things you can do every day is to plead with God to give you more of his spirit and show you what's real so you can actually follow him. And now for the rest of this passage, John's going to keep saying very similar things. 
And so we're not going to spend as much time in the rest of these verses. But he's going to keep repeating for us. He's going to keep repeating these truths for us so that we get them. John just has a simple message for us that will change our lives. And so we want to know it. So let's just keep listening to him as he speaks to us this simple message. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist's. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Remember when I said we need reality clarified for us? These verses clarify reality. There is no neutral ground. I'm going to say that again. There is no neutral ground. When Jesus died and rose again and invited all nations to repent and follow him, it doesn't leave any room for being halfway in. One of the biggest deceptions we can believe is that I can follow Jesus and also have sin as my Lord. I can also have a side hustle of sin in my life. I can tolerate another Lord. It's no less true than saying I can be faithful to my wife and have a mistress, right? It's a lie, And I just want to speak to anyone today who's waffling in and out between confessing Christ as Lord or denying him. There's no middle ground. He wants all of us. God is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So what what these verses are saying is that there are deniers or there's confessors. There's anointed ones And there's antichrists. There's one for whom Jesus is everything and one for whom Jesus is nothing. So church, church, let's take hold of him today. Let's let's make Jesus our everything today. And whatever deception we're playing with, whatever we're allowing to begin to lead us away from Christ bit by bit, Let's cut it off. Did we not hear that word deception in the passage? It's subtle. The snake is subtle. He's not going to come to you and say, rebel, and then you just rebel. He's going to lead us away bit by bit. That's his plan. So that you think you're all right until you're not, like a frog being boiled in water. And so there's two options. Either we can continue to allow ourselves to be led astray or we can take hold of Christ and just him alone and live. So let's do that today. Let's not play any games anymore. Let's not let Antichrist have any dominion or sway over any of our lives here this morning. One thing that should shock and astonish us about this text is that the outcome of someone's life and faith has an impact on someone else's life and faith. Right, John writes later uh, in 2 John, he writes about many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Right? When we fail in our faith and we start giving into sin and deception, we start to bring other people along with us. One of the biggest ways we can love our brothers and sisters in this room is to not surrender an inch to the antichrist. Don't give him an inch. Why? Because your wife and children, your friends, your DNA members, your MCs are encouraged by your faith and disillusioned by your deception. 
So let's, let's care about this family by caring about our holiness. And not let the deceiver get you or get your brother or sister. Let's fight for one another. And then John writes, Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. John's writing about the beautiful thing that God has done for his people that the enemy wants to destroy. He writes about the teaching about who he is and who we are and talks about that abiding in us. So one way God comes and lives in us is through his word. His word and his spirit come into us and change us and God lives in us. And then he says, if if the teaching lives in you, if the teaching lives in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. So what I'm trying to talk to you about is the most beautiful thing you've ever heard of. God in us and us in God. Is that what you want? Right? There's separation and death, which is the experience we were born into, and then we were brought into life. Us in God and God in us. John actually calls that, this is the promise he's made to us, he calls that eternal life. If God's in you and you're in God, you've already started to experience the blessings that you'll have forevermore right now. God's creating a perfect place where we'll know a perfect person forever, but you've already started to know the perfect person right now if you follow Jesus. Us in God and God in us. It's eternal life. Everything else is just an attempt to counterfeit that. Sin is an attempt to counterfeit that. I once heard a quote that just blew my mind, that every time a young man comes to the brothel, he doesn't know it, but he's looking for God. Sin is an attempt to counterfeit the experience of life, of God in us, and us in God, and it's what the enemy's trying to take from us this morning. And all I'm trying to say to you, to me and to us, is don't let him. Don't let him do it. Why would you let him do it? For that silly thing that will last for 10 minutes, don't let him do it. We have power and anointing that that might not happen. John goes on, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, right? He's just, he's saying the same things to us because we need to hear them again and again. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. There are people trying to deceive us. We have an anointing, so they have no power to do that unless we let them. You have no need that anyone should teach you. You don't need the world to teach you what's real. And say that again. You don't need the world to teach you what's real. You need the Lord Jesus and his word. That's all you need. It's good to learn things from the world. It's good to learn about the different discoveries people have made, the different disciplines they've discovered, the different knowledge they've gained. 
but you don't need the world to teach you what's real. The world can't teach you what's real because the world doesn't have the Holy Spirit and the world doesn't have the Word of God. These people John's writing to are letting other people come in and try to define for them what's real. And John's saying, you don't need that. You do not need that. You have everything from Jesus and his word to tell you what's real so you can have eternal life. And so if there's any worldly philosophy this morning that's teaching you to believe that you need more than this and you need more than him, you don't. You don't. How do I know that? Because the person who wrote this book died and rose again, and no one else can say that. And he came and rescued me, and so I'm going to trust him. I'm not going to trust some person who's going to die, and that's it. I'm going to trust Jesus. At the end of the day, we need an anointing church because we don't need just to know things. We need heart change. We need heart change. If you don't want God, you're not going to want the truth. Yeah, that's right. If you don't want God, you're not going to want the truth. Like there, there are people who go to casinos and gamble away their life savings, their kids' college tuition, their homes and their cars, and it's not because they don't know that that can happen, and it's not because they don't know that the odds are stacked against them. It's because their hearts want riches. Someone who's making destructive decisions like that doesn't need more head knowledge. They need heart change. And all of us, unless God changes our hearts, are not even going to want to know the truth. We're going to deceive ourselves. That's the kind of life we live until the anointing of God changed what we wanted. And so if you are stuck in the throes of deception this morning... The answer is not to study harder, but to plead more for God's spirit. Plead more for his help. And if you're doing well, plead more for his help because you might not be doing well tomorrow. And I just want to invite anyone here this morning who's never come to the truth, who's never surrendered to Jesus, who's never received his anointing. If you want that, please don't leave here without talking to someone about that. I just want us to ask ourselves this morning, who or what is influencing us more than Jesus is or threatening to? Just reflect on that. Who or what is influencing you more than Jesus is or tempting you? Or tempting you? The word antichrist actually just means instead of Christ. Instead of Christ. That's how he works. He doesn't try to come and get you to just straight up rebel against Christ. He tries to get you just to subtly replace Christ with something else. What are you tempted to replace Christ with this morning? For me, I have struggled with an idol of comfort for so many years. Right? The lie is that if I have enough rest and enjoyment, I'll be happy and fulfilled. Now, those things aren't wrong in themselves, but they're a poor substitute for Christ. They're idols when they're a substitute for Christ. And if I'm pursuing those things, I can't be pursuing Christ. I can't be pursuing my wife. 
and child, and I can't be pursuing this church family. Do you see why people who have idols are led away from Jesus and the church? Because you can't both pursue your idol and Jesus and the church. You have to pick. One idol I've observed deceive and divide the church just about more than anything in the last few years is the idol of political ideology. On both the right and the left, there are strains of thought that just don't require you to agree with the ideas, but to have a religious-like devotion to them. On both the right and the left, you'll see people who have a religious-like devotion to their political ideology. And I have seen people leave the church and even leave the faith because their church did not reflect their political ideology. And I'm here to warn us this morning that this is alive and well. And if you feel yourself growing cold to your church community and starting to drift because it does not reflect your political convictions, beware. Beware of the idol of political ideology. Because these ideologies are going to pass away and whoever follows them as Lord is going to pass away. But those who do the will of God will abide forever. One last cultural trend I want to touch on is something called deconstruction. And it's an increasingly popular trend in the church where people begin to question their faith, question the things that they've known, and often at the end of this path, not always, but often they'll end up deconverting. And I want to say this morning that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to talk about your doubts. It's okay to process through these hard things. But what I would warn you against is of doing it outside of the church community. That's what so many people do when they go down this process is they leave the church community and begin to be influenced by the world as they try to discern if Christ is Lord rather than being influenced by his people. And so please, if you have deep questions and doubts, let's talk about them. But please don't leave the community of faith to do that. Let's be a family who processes through these things together. If we embrace our identity as anointed ones, like Jesus, as a community, we will be a community that dispels and defeats the deceptions of the enemy day by day and week by week. That's what we could be as a family. We could wage war and defeat the enemy in our own lives and other people's lives. Every week when we gather here consistently, when we're tempted not to, when we are a part of the gathering of the church, we are proclaiming to ourselves and to one another that Jesus and all his promises are true. When we lovingly confront deceptions that people are believing, we as anointed ones are battling against deception in their hearts. And when we encourage our brothers and sisters to abide in him, abide in him, abide in him, we're helping people escape the influence of the world and become more and more influenced by Christ. So I want to end this morning by encouraging us, let's just not be anointed ones on our own. Let's be a community of anointed ones who wage war against the deceptions of the enemy in one another. When people come into this community, they should feel the lies of Satan broken off and the truth of Jesus presented to them in clear and powerful ways through our words and our lives. So family, let's grow. Let's grow into anointed ones who wage war against the lies of the enemy. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for showing us the truth when we were so hopelessly deceived and on our way to death and hell. And we ask that you would clarify again for us today, Jesus Christ, we want to see him. We want to worship him. So fill up this room with your presence and, uh, and help us to abide in you at new levels of depths right now, God. We need new hearts so that we want your truth. So please, God, move among us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.